Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Today, I want to segue into a new series. I want to talk about something new. Um, I believe the Lord has been speaking to me about, has been challenging me personally and my family. And um, I believe that we're going to explore this together on neighboring, um, on what is the Lord asking us in this season um, in reflecting on some of the changes that have just happened over the last few months. So Judah and I, we were at Food City. Um, we were at Food City maybe a week and a half ago, we're checking out. And I, it's already a little awkward for me at Food City because you have to like put your buggy on one side and then leave your groceries. And I like, to, I like to look at my groceries when they're being scanned. I don't know why. So I'm like looking for them to make sure that they only scan them once or whatever it is. I'm not sure why I watch it. But we're at Food City and we leave it there and I'm talking to my wife. I'm talking to Candy on the phone. And as we're checking out, and, and they haven't started my order, they're, they're finishing up the order in front of me. And the lady I noticed says something to, to me and to Judah. She says, as I'm getting off the phone, I didn't quite catch it the first time. She says, hey, could you scoot back? And I was like, and I finally put it together what she was asking. So I grabbed Judah and we, we scooted a couple of feet more um, to the side because I guess we were only four feet and not six away from her. And so what I realized is that, man, we have a new normal for what is going to be culturally acceptable with our distance between people. And we have some things that I think are, are going to probably, I think you're going to see hand sanitizer used in gobs moving forward. I think you're going to see flu season's going to look different. People are going to feel more comfortable wearing masks during different uh, seasons of, of our normal year that they didn't use to before. I think some of that's probably going to stay. Uh, I think there's going to be some families that tried out homeschooling and, and they may continue or they may absolutely never do it, right, as a result of these past couple of months. I think you're going to, there's some things that have just changed because of what has just happened. But one thing that hasn't is what the Lord has called us to do in loving God and loving our neighbor. And so as we explore what that looks like, I want us to get into something new today that we're looking at today called neighboring. What does it look like to neighbor in 2020 post, I'm gonna go ahead and say post COVID-19, even though I know we're probably still in the thick of it, so to speak, post what has just happened with this pandemic to allow us to still follow the Lord's greatest commands for us. What does that look like? So if you're anywhere even close to my age and older, I think we have a very different frame of reference for neighborhood living, for interaction with people that live next door to you. For me growing up, and I think it's a little strange when I take my kids over to see their Mimi and Papa, my parents who still live in the same home, in the same neighborhood as we did 36 years ago. And we knew our neighbors. And I remember my mom giving me the measuring cup and say, hey, would you go over to so-and-so's house? I need another half a cup of flour. Or I am two eggs short for the brownies that we were gonna make tonight that we hadn't planned on. Would you go knock on the Reagan's door next door? And we did, you did that. You had neighbors that that was the way you live. It was very normal and vice versa. They would knock on our doors at time and needed this or needed that. And, and today though, we live very independent, isolated lives that I think neighboring has changed for some of us. Maybe not all of us, but I want you to go on this journey of exploring what could it look like if we neighbored well. 
And I knew my neighbors. I don't, can you remember some of the neighbors that, that were around you? I, I remember Mr. Boop on this side of the house who even in his 90s would get up on the roof and continue to do his yard work as well. I remember the Tuttles up the hill where my parents still live and that we would love to sled down their yard, but we would go and knock on the door and ask and, and he never had a problem. But I remember their garden in the back and talking to him as I was playing in the backyard and our backyard's connected. And I remember the Reagans who lived over here and, and I remember all my neighbors and I remember pointing out even to my kids, I remember I had a friend that lived there and I've been in that house and I've been in that house and I've been, I've been in probably almost 50% of the homes in my family's neighborhood growing up. And my, I wonder if my kids reflect on a neighboring looks very different because they're not allowed to go into people's houses. They're, we don't do sleepovers. We have chosen to do some things different than even the way I grew up. I feel like it is a different world than it was back then, but the commands have remained the same. To love God and to love our neighbor. So what does that look like today? What does neighboring look like today? And I want you to journey with me. We're going to spend some moments in Romans 12 and we lay some foundations for what we're going to be discussing the next few weeks. We're going to start in Romans 12. Romans 12 verses 9 through 13. And as you're turning there, you've probably heard me mention it before that Romans might be one of my absolute favorite books of the Bible. I feel like just the, the summary that Paul paints here of salvation and the gospel being Jew and Gentile alike, just the expanse of his kingdom being for all men and just being able to understand and, and the way that he articulates that roadmap to eternal life and what Christ has done for us through life in the spirit. It, it is so spelled out in this letter that he's writing to the church in Rome. And before quarantine in March, we were, we were marching through one of my favorite chapters in one of my favorite books. We were in chapter eight and we were marching through kind of segment by segment. And, and that absolutely is still one of my favorites, but chapter 12 would be right up there as a close second. As he starts out with, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a, what, as a living sacrifice. And then he begins to spell out some of what Christian living would look like for us. And that's where we're at in verses nine through 13. Would you read with me? It says, I'm gonna be reading in the NLT. I don't typically, but I like some of the phrases that he uses in this particular translation. Verse nine, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tight to what is good. Paul continues, verse 10, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. And when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. And also always be eager to practice hospitality. We're talking about neighboring. God, may you bless the reading of your word today. And so in verse nine, I love how Paul puts it here. He says, don't just pretend to love others, really, really love them. And the word here, and, and as I was kind of studying, one of the commentaries, it, it put it this way. It said, love is primary. 
You wonder when Paul is writing some of his letters, he writes to the church in Corinth who is dealing with some really messed up issues. You guys think we're dealing with some crazy issues today in the church. Read some of the letters and understand what Paul is trying to correct, not in the world, but in the church. And so in the midst of some of this, these corrections that he's writing to Corinth, right in the midst of, of unpacking the spiritual gifts and all this, he inserts a whole chapter on love because it, to him, was the foundation of our lives that we live in with one another and in the world. And he says here, love, this commentary said, love is primary, but if it is not sincere, it is not real love, but only pretense. And our love for God, as this verse says in Romans 12, nine, he says, it must be sincere, really love others. Don't just pretend. And that word sincere, it can mean honest, genuine, authentic. But the translation of that Greek word, if you'll throw that up for me, Bruce, two Greek words, I just want to kind of give some nuances to what Paul is saying here as we're laying this foundation with my first point. That, that word of love must be sincere is literally translated without hypocrisy. Anupo Christos literally means, so you have without hypocrisy. And the second word where we would get hypocrisy is there's a rough breathing mark that didn't uh, translate to my slide here, but it has a, a, a kind of a breathing sound at the beginning, hypocrites, which is literally where we get hypocrite, right? And in the Greek world, there was this, there was this role that someone would pl play, that they would act out uh, as my kids do when they're at home, they act out a role and they play something that they're not and it's clear what they're doing. But Paul is saying, don't let your love look like a role that you're playing. Don't let this be the act that you're putting on. That in pretense, if it is not genuine, if it is not sincere, if it is with hypocrisy, then it is not the love of God that you're showing. He's saying it must be literally without acting without hypocrisy. And I love these next two statements as he, as Paul builds on this, he says that love that must be genuine and sincere and without hypocrisy, it, it also causes us to hate what is wrong and cling to what is good. Reminds me so much. I feel like Paul has jumped into some Proverbs real quick where, you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and, and so much of what the Lord, hey, you know, he spells out in those proverbial verses in, in Proverbs and Solomon catalogs so many of the things that the Lord would hate, that pride and arrogance and, and the things that there is a disdain for and, and that which is evil and calling good evil and evil good. And, and Paul says that the love of God has the ability to not hate who is it, it's not a who, it's hate what is evil, but cling to that which is good. And we display our sincere love, our genuine love, by even a hatred for what is evil within ourselves, within the world, within the systems, within whatever, wherever environment we're in, that the love of God would then cling to what is good as well. And in verse 10, he continues to build on this idea of what love should look like. And he says, love each other with genuine affection. And this is the second word I want us to catch. The NIV translates it, be devoted to one another in love. Literally, the word there in the Greek is Philadelphia, right? You've heard of Philadelphia, right? The, the city of brotherly love. The word literally is a 
familial type love, a love that you would express for a, a son, a daughter, a brother, a sister, a mother, a father, a familial type of Let your love be towards one another as it would be towards someone in your family. And I know we all have different experiences of what that love has looked like in our life, but, but Paul is saying here, let it be this deep-rooted affection, this familial type of love, that there's this connection you have and this appreciation for one another, this even mutual devotion towards one another in love. And then to skip down just a little bit, I want to look at what Paul then translates the word in verse 13 to mean. He says, when God's people are in need, he says, be ready to help them. Now, I think this is one of the things that um, we have to be careful as a church not to miss, that we take care of one another. While we should be about fulfilling the Great Commission and making disciples, it shouldn't be at the expense of overlooking those within our own congregation that are rejoicing, that are hurting, that we walk with one another, that we help, that we encourage. But then he's tra he transitions from when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. And then he adds to it. And also, always be eager to practice hospitality. Hospitality. And I don't know what you think of, like, um, I don't, how many here went to college and studied, you know, something for the hospitality industry? I mean, you think of hotels and taking care of people. And, and for me, I think of hospitality, and I think of like, oh, man, that's not really my spiritual gift, but my sister's really good at it. She's a great cook. She likes to host. She loves having people over. But that's not really what this word means here when Paul is writing this to the church in Rome. He says, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them, but always be eager to practice hospitality. And that's where we get the philozenian word right there. Have you heard of xenophobia? That's the second part of that word. Xenophobia would be the fear of strangers. And like all my introverts are like, uh-huh, yeah, <laughs> please. Yeah, social distancing, can't get enough. All that step back, I'm loving it, right? Philo, the love of strangers. So he takes the first word in verse 10 and says, Love one another, love those within the church, love those with a familial type love, with a brotherly love, with a Philadelphia type love. He says, and be ready to take care of those in the church that are in need, but don't forget to be ready to even love strangers, to love those that are on the outside, to love those that are not yet a part of this family of God. Talking about neighboring, what does Paul say that should look like. He says, I love that we should always be eager to practice this type of love, this love for the other, this love for those on the outside, so to speak, the love for a stranger. And in that word literally, to always be eager or to practice hospitality, it literally means to move rapidly and decisively towards, literally to chase down. Now, I'm not telling you, you need to go chase some strangers down and invite them over or start loving or start building, because that might get a little creepy. Let's just be honest, right? Let's not start chasing people down. But he's saying, do this with intention. Do this on purpose. Build this into the rhythms of your life. And so for me and our kids and our family, we probably spend more time maybe doubling any other neighbor outside right? We, we're constantly walking, 
Sometimes it is literally me chasing Levi up the street. I'm like, what is he doing? Who let him out of the driveway? You're supposed to... it, it, it's all of us going together. It's we've we've worn out the double stroller. Now we're on to new buy. You know, it's like we are constantly going up and down our street. And there's some intentionality to it to meet my neighbor. There's also some intentionality to wear out my kids and hope they sleep good that night. Let's be honest. But how do we build into the rhythms of our lives to neighbor? to neighbor well, to neighbor in 2020, post COVID-19, post a lot of the things that have been on the news for the past few decades as to why my kids don't go in the neighbor's house, post all these. So what does that look like? How do we neighbor? How do we begin to not just talk to the ones that we enjoy talking to, but even the ones that were like, oh man, I wish they put their dogs in the their fence again. I wish they'd stop barking. I wish they'd not shoot fireworks after 10 o'clock because I've got a bunch of kids trying to go to bed. Does anybody have those neighbors too? It's just me, just my neighbors. But how do I begin to not just pick and choose the ones that I neighbor well, but accept what the Lord is challenging us with on loving even the stranger, to be eager, to do it with intentionality, so that's the first part. And I'm not talking about Paula Dean and Martha Stewart and your vacuuming and your dusting and all that when we talk about entertaining the stranger. We're talking about a place in our life and our hearts that we create space to include, that we go out of our way to build bridges. Because when it's a stranger and when it's the other and there's not a relationship, it is, it's bridge building. It's Oh, it's, it's initial conversation. It's getting past the weather. It's getting past, you know, hey, you're working on your car. It's getting past just the, the normal mundane conversations to things that are more meaningful that I want us to look at together. But the second part that I want us to build this foundation with, we'll start in Galatians 5.14. And Paul writes this, and he puts some really heavy words together when he says in Galatians 5.14, for the whole law can be summed up in this one thing, in this one command, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so I had t-shirts made, right? No, I didn't. Someone else had t-shirts made and I'm wearing it. Because we're talking about this one command, Paul says, if it could be all summed up in one thing, it's loving our neighbor. And I think sometimes we hear these words and it's become so routine, so trivial, so mundane that it's lost its power to convict and to change. We're like, yeah, love God, love your neighbor. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, woo, love your neighbor. I'm gonna hashtag love your neighbor. But living it is very, very different in our, in our society, in our fast pace, in our now new norms of distancing. And, but I think it's gonna become more important than possibly ever before at least in my lifetime, knowing my neighbor, it may be the only social interaction some of them are having right now. It might be the only people other than the grocery store clerk that they engage with in person. I still know which neighbors aren't comfortable yet coming out because even on their front porch, there's one elderly couple catty corner to us that still wears their mask that at Easter, the kids came over and sat in lawn chairs and the grandkids were all right there and they stayed on the porch and the rest of the family stayed in the front yard and then just two weeks ago had a birthday party, but around back because nobody's coming in the house yet. There's still, so there's still this dynamic of how do I love my neighbor 
in this kind of environment? What does that look like? And that's what I want us to begin to think through and talk about. In Matthew, Jesus begins to talk about these same things that Paul is echoing. And he says in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And I love what he says in verse 39. And the second is just as important. Not this is the first and the greatest. And then this one is, yeah, do this one after you get the first one done or you figure it out. No, as a result of the first one, you're doing these in tandem. These are happening simultaneously. As a result of your encounter with the love of God and your response to his love, you're gonna love God and those that you can see. You're gonna love the one you can't see and the one you can. You're gonna love the Lord and you're gonna love your neighbor. If the love of God is truly producing a transformation in our heart, then it should produce something that causes us to look at those around us, including the stranger, differently. The second is just as important. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. He says the entire law, just like Paul said, and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commands. Love God with everything you have and love, love your neighbor, love, love your neighbor, whatever that is. Go love somebody. Love your neighbor with everything you have. And that's it. That's it. And we've heard these things time after time. And I don't know, um, as a teenager, it was huge to have Christian everything. Uh, necklaces, t-shirts. I had the Bible cover, right, with the handles and had my highlighters in the front. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I had the ones that were just made, like the color pencils just made for the thin pages of my Bible, and it was marked up. The yellow one was my favorite, and I would use it the most. On occasion, I would venture out and use the, the bright orange Meshach. But I had all these right in my, in the zipper pouch on my, man, my kids would look at me like, Bible cover? Dad, what's that? Theirs is in the box still, because they carry, that's their Bible cover, the box that came in. But we had all these, so all the t-shirts we had, right? I had as many t-shirts as there were days in the month, not week, but month, right? Christian t-shirts galore. Cedar Springs was still big. Lifeway wasn't even in town yet, right? All these things you could still go and find, and they were everywhere. There was one at East Town. What? East Town, what's that? There was one at West, there was one out West, there was one... But now I think about some of the things that we've heard that we've become accustomed to, the verses that become so trivial of Jeremiah 29, for I know the plans I have for you, hope and faith. And we, John, for God so loved the world. And, and I feel like sometimes the greatest commandments can become that as well. And there was one t-shirt that I have, Bruce, you can play this in the background, no audio. But there was one t-shirt I had and, it, and I actually found it in a video format of how it worked. It was one of those magic eye, you're gonna see Jesus if you stare at my t-shirt. So I wore this t-shirt as a teenager and people, I would make people like stare at the four dots right in the middle of my t-shirt. And you would stare at it and you'd get real close and you look at it and you're supposed to do this for 30 seconds. Like how awkward is this to wear a t-shirt that you make people stare at your chest for 30 seconds and then they're supposed to look away and blink rapidly and you're supposed to see like the silhouette of Jesus in the, in the air of where you're blinking. So this is one of the t-shirts that I had, but, and I think about sometimes these magic illusions and, and the things that we become accustomed to can be a lot like this command that Jesus tells us is the greatest and the second just as important that we look at these commands and we've become so accustomed to it that, that even when we look away, we're like, I just know what I'm supposed to see. I just know the way I've thought about it. I just know the way this is supposed to look. Yes, I've heard it, but it no longer is impacting our lives with conviction and change. 
And I think the Lord wants to freshen that in our lives because he says, John 5, verse 39, I love what he says to the Pharisees. Jesus saying, hey, you study the scriptures, which is not a bad thing. He's saying you study the scriptures diligently because you think in them you have eternal life. So imagine this. Imagine my wife writes me letters and we, I still have a box of all the emails I sent her from my Hotmail account, which I don't even use anymore. I have this big old fat box of every email we sent back and forth when we were dating. I, I, I just asked her the other day if I should throw it away. And she's like, no, why? Apparently my love is on, on being questioned now, my commitment to her. So, but I think about what if I had poured my life over each one of these emails or the letters that she wrote and the, if I just studied them and I looked at them and the nuances of the way that she phrased things. And, but she came in town and she wanted to visit and hang out because we long distance dated from North Carolina, Tennessee. And she, would, she had come and she wanted to spend time with me, but I was like, no, 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 I don't have time. I'm, I'm too busy reading these letters that you've written to me. Like that would be ludicrous, right? Who would do that? And Jesus is saying, you diligently are studying the scripture because you think in them you have this relationship, this eternal life. But they're talking about me. You're missing the point of those letters. It's about me and the relationship I want to have with you. And he says, love God, love your neighbor. Realize that these greatest commands are summed up in those two things. It's testifying about who he is and the relationships he, he wants with us and he wants to extend to those around us. And so we know the story in Luke 10 where a man comes up to Jesus and he kinda, he's trying to trap Jesus, Meshach. He's trying to trap him and he asks these questions and here's what he says. He says, now, wait a minute. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And he begins to trap him with these questions he thinks. He thinks, man, I'm going to be able to get Jesus. He's an expert in the law, Luke tells us. And, and Jesus says, well, tell me, what do you think is the greatest command? What do you think is most important? What, what do you think you need to be following? What do you think? You do? So he answers his question with a, a question, and I'm sure that made the, the guy was really happy about that. How many of you guys like it when people answer your questions with questions? No, but okay, good. I'm not the only weird one. It's, it's irritating, right? Just answer my question. And Jesus says to him, no, what do you think? And, and he replies, he says, I think it's, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is like, boom, you nailed it. You got it. Now just go and do it. That's what he tells him. He says, now just go and do it. And the man's still trying to, he's still trying to be really sly. And he says, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. But who's my neighbor, Jesus? Who's my neighbor? And so he tells a story, right? And that's where we get the, the story of the good Samaritan, of the individual that didn't uh, have the same rights or the same uh, relationship. They weren't supposed to be talking to the Jews. They weren't supposed to be living. They weren't on the same side of town. They weren't, there were so many things that had segregated and uh, excluded them from the cultural norms that the relationships that the Samaritans had with the Jews of the day was anything but good. But as he talks about loving the neighbor and the gentleman that had been beat up and robbed and the priest doesn't help him, the pastor doesn't help him, the Levite doesn't help him, but who does? The Samaritan helps him. The one least expected. 
entertains and loves a stranger. Loves a stranger. Cares for him. Nurtures him. Pays for his stay. Helps him get rehabilitated. Like invests. Says, I'm going to come back and check on him. He says, which one do you think loved his neighbor? Go and do likewise. I think Jesus would say to us. And sometimes it's easy to love those that are like us, right? But it's difficult to love those that are different than us. To show the love of Christ. What does that look like? And I think we've already defined so many words for ourselves that I think we need to allow the Lord to redefine them. What does love and investment and building bridges and relationship that they may see Christ through us that they would want to be a part of this family, to no longer be just on receiving love for a stranger, which is great, but that it would be Philadelphia, that they would be affectionately loved as we grow in that relationship with them and they see the light of Christ. And so I'm hoping that what the Lord is challenging me with, the Lord would challenge us with, and that would be how do we literally love our neighbors? And I think as we ask this question, well, who's my neighbor? I think first, it is literally your neighbor. It is literally, I can, I can at least tell you this. It's at least your neighbors. Like it's at least those people. And there's a book that, um, that this lady gives a quote about neighboring and I don't agree with all of her theology, um, but the gospel comes with a house key. There's a lot of good things about her, the, the art of neighboring, so to speak, that is really good. There's some things about her theology. Let me just let you know out front, I do not agree with, but she says this, and it's such a really good statement. She says, God never gets the address wrong. And I think about that, and I'm like, you know, there's so many intentionalities of where you live right now. Maybe you think, no, it was just what was available when I moved here. It's where we ended up. It's where my real estate it fit the criteria, checked the boxes, whatever it is. But God in his sovereignty doesn't get the address wrong. I believe that. And think about it this way. Think about the people you live around right now. I, I imagine this. I imagine there are people, even those that don't know the Lord that are around us, they've got someone in their family that's praying for them. And think about the kind of prayers that you pray for the family members you're praying for right now that you're praying maybe like this. You're saying, Lord, would you put someone in their life that will encourage them and be that light and, and just intentionally build that? Lord, would you put someone around them? And then they find out you live next door and you're a believer. And they're like, maybe that's the answer to my prayer. But will it be? Will we let our life be the answer to some of those prayers that maybe we've even prayed for our own family members? That Lord, would you put, or maybe they find out, oh, hey, so-and-so -so is even a pastor or goes to such and such a church or man, that's gotta be the answer to the prayer we've been praying for our family that's right there on the same street within a rock's throw. If we'll slow down and we'll allow the love that we have for God to be transferred to our neighbors, that we would welcome and love not only the brothers and sisters in Christ, but the stranger to build bridges and share the love of Christ that we have, that God never gets the address wrong, that it's not an accident. And I want to challenge you guys. I'm going to give a little bit of homework. 
And this is something from a book called The Art of Neighboring. There's a couple of resources. If you're really interested in, hey, I think I really want to start, you know, with where I live. And uh, there's a book called, um, would you throw up the, yeah, The Art of Neighboring is a great one. A lot of what, um, of what I'm talking about today comes from that as well. They have a great uh, website on Facebook. I'll share some resources that I've uploaded um, into a cloud that you can find. They've even got some COVID-19 responses to The Art of Neighboring. What does that look like today? What, how is it different? Um, they've got some great small group materials, leaders materials. Like there's things that you could do. They talk about how to, how to have a neighborhood party, how to invite your neighbors to something. So where, wherever you start and where the Lord leads you, I wanna be there to support and empower being a good neighbor, to neighboring well, to sharing the love of Christ in a real and practical way. And so the other one is The Tangible Kingdom. It's a great book if you're interested in another book. Uh, this is about creating incarnational community. Um, and it's written in such a way that you could do this in a, in a Bible study. You could read it in short chapters. It's probably even, you know, bathroom reading material. It's easy reading. Um, but it talks about how do we allow our tables to end up being a table that we can invite those that are right around us to sit at and to converse with. And so maybe that's the front porch now. Maybe that's taking the conversation in the front lawn to another level of intentionality of concerning. So here are the three questions that I want you to take home with you. I want you to maybe think of a map, a little map here um, that I'll say you are here, right? There's your house. And my road is a little bit different. My neighbors behind me are literally in a different neighborhood. I can go across the retention pond, which we do, right? We go into the neighborhood behind us, but I don't know them as well. Um, I know some of them, but the ones right on my street, like I know, I know Greg and Misty and I know Roger and T and there's son Evan and then there's us and Joe and, and then we know the Lynches and you know, I know all the way, I know down to Jan and Patrick that I wish would mow his yard more often. I mean, we know all of the neighbors and there's different situations, right? But what if instead of having those issues that just like I said, what if we found out what was behind the fact that that yard wasn't getting mowed as much? What if it wasn't about our property value? What if it was about some of the pain and heartache that they're just barely keeping it together and we started building relationship and bridges and understanding? And what if I just found out, you know, about the, the neighbors from California that just moved in a little over a year ago and, and, and he finally got his business up off the ground that he had had out there, but now here and just the, tra what, what if I went beyond just my base knowledge and began to say, hey, what's, how are things going? How have you guys been making it through this time? Has it been tough for you guys? The school bus driver on our street, I was concerned about. Schools were out. I was so glad to find out that Knox County continued paying their contract throughout this whole time. But now what's it gonna look like in the fall? So to know the answers to some of the concerns you have, to genuinely care to neighbor. And I don't share this because I've got it down or I've done it well or I've got some track record that I can preach from. I understand that those who, who parse the word of God will be held to a higher standard. I get that. But there's also a time when you're preaching that I'm preaching to myself as well as to us as a congregation. And this is one of those for me. The Lord is challenging me on this, on my family. How do we neighbor well? How do we neighbor? How do we love God and our neighbor in this time? And so I want you to start with this. I want you to start with a little map with some blocks. You can do it physically, you can do it mentally, whatever will help you. And I want you to write down the names of the neighbors that you know. That's step one. 90% of people typically cannot finish step one. They don't know the names of every person around their neighborhood that they, who lives in that home. So let's start there. Let that be our first step. So this week, 
How will we intentionally get out? We got some beautiful days. How could we begin to introduce ourselves? Hey, I, you know, I've been here for years. I don't think I've met you. Man, what's your name? I've, I've seen you come and go, you drive this car. Where do you work? You work at, I, come, I, ne- I only see you at night coming and going and you see, you, oh, you work third shift, that makes sense. Okay, what do, you, what do you do? Wow, how long have you been doing that? Just get to know them, who are they? And then step two that I want us to think about is we literally get to know our neighbors. Write down something that you know about them from a conversation with them. So whether this was in apartments, which for Candy and I, when we first lived in apartments, I, I knew the people above me. I, I, knew why, I knew why there was hair falling through the cracks of her deck onto my porch because she was, in, uh, she was going to beauty school and practicing her haircutting with all her friends on her back deck. Now, I had conversations with her about that, but I should have had other conversations too. You know what I mean? And so how do we neighbor beyond just the complaints, right? Beyond just... Hey, Joe, next door during quarantine, remodeling, finished his thing. You know what I know about Joe? He wants to drive a dump truck across my yard where I have my water line from the street. That's what I remember from April instead of, I wonder what God's doing in his life. I wonder how they're making it through this time. Instead of being about me, can I, I'm just, I'm making some confessions because I imagine you live in the same flesh I do. Instead of it being about how loud their music is, their dogs are barking, their kids are never kept or whatever it may be, right? We've all got those neighbors. What if we began to build bridges? What if our concern was intentional to be hospitable and to express the love of God, even to strangers? So write down their names with me this week. And then as we begin to have conversations, let's go to step two, which only 97% of of people cannot complete this one. So 90% can't write down all the names, 97% can't write down something from a conversation they've had with them that they know about those neighbors. And then the third thing that I really want to challenge us on, let's take it to another step in our conversations with them. What's something that they're concerned about that they may even need your help with? Whether it's prayer, whether it's a meal train, providing for something. I remember when the neighbor who used to live across the street came to me and, and shared something beyond just like, hey, can I borrow your wheelbarrow? You know, it was, it was a prayer request. I remember when Corey came over, he had just found out that one of his family members was facing a pretty serious stage of cancer. And he came over and how, what that did for our relationship, what that meant that he would open up and that he recognized that I would care that way. What do they know about us? Do they know that we'll pray for them? That we'll be praying and check up on how they're doing. How's that family member doing? Was this the, was the first round this week? How's that going? Been praying. Man, I'm believing with you that we can encourage and bring hope to literally our neighbors. To literally our neighbors. And so we begin to know things that they're concerned about. An area that maybe where we can bring hope and healing and, and be of a help. I know which neighbors have had some sons that they've been praying for. Praying that they come back and get on a straight and narrow path for their life, that they have veered off, that they raised them a different way. But so I'm praying with those, those prodigal stories for our neighbors. We can stand with our neighbors and it be about sharing the love of God in a new way, in a real way. My neighbors, your neighbors, next week we're gonna talk about 
some practical things that we can do. But I want you to take some time this week and begin to just, with a simple map, let's just start here. Let's just start basically, let's start with who we know. What do we know about them? And how do we take that to another step? And then as we're walking through this over the next few weeks, I want to come alongside you. I want to show up with you. I want to do what is the Lord is leading you to host your neighbors, to become hospitable. I'll show up at the burgers and the buns. We'll grill out in the, on the front porch, wherever you want to have it to where it's inviting, welcoming, get to know, block part, whatever it is. I want to be there with you. I want to do this with you, that we would love God and that we would love our neighbors. Amen. Let's pray this morning. Father, I, I just, um, more than just being something we should or ought to do or understanding in a different way, God, I just pray that we would look at your word today uh, and we would hear it in a new way. God, I pray that your spirit would just illuminate and give revelation to what you have boiled down the scriptures to me, that we would love you, Lord, and that we would love our neighbor. And you may be in this room right now and you're saying, Michael, I would be the neighbor that needs to ask for prayer. I would be the one that needs to start with knowing and loving God. And if that's you in this place and you're saying, Michael, I'm the one that needs prayer. I'm the one that needs to come and make right my relationship with the Lord. If it's you that need to accept the forgiveness and sacrifice of Christ to rebuild the bridge between you and God and have peace with him, that is who I wanna pray with first and foremost this morning. If that's you, if you need prayer for, for any of those things, I just want you to slip up your hand that I can be agreeing with you this week. Anyone at all? Okay. And Lord, I believe that you're challenging some of us to take our love for you to another step in literally loving those in close proximity to us, that you don't get the address wrong. Lord, would you help us? Would you help us to express our love for you to those closest around us, to our literal neighbors? God, I thank you for your word. I pray that we don't walk away from this without transformation. And may we fixate our eyes upon the cross and the work of what you have done, Jesus, that it will be from a revelation of your deep love for us that we would share the good news that has been shared with us. We thank you, God. This is the beginning of transformation in our communities. It starts with our neighbors around us, that we would love you, Lord, and we would love our neighbors. We thank you, God, that you have shed abroad your love in our hearts. May we go and do likewise in the world. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen.